Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to my YouTube channel. My name is John Campia, and this is a companion video. What are companion videos? Well, I'm awfully glad that you asked. You see, every day on the John Campus Show, Monday through Friday, we take the second half of the show to take your live comments and questions. However, a lot of the times we don't have enough time to get through all the comments and questions that get sent in. But you sent in those questions, so I want to make sure they get answered properly in a video so we gather them up and get addressed, get them addressed here on a companion video. And you know, guys, it is Boxing Day today, December the 26th. I hope you guys had a fabulous Christmas day and that you are continuing to enjoy a fabulous Christmas weekend. And I hope you guys are having a good time wherever you are and whatever you're doing and uh, whatever it is you're doing. I hope you're surrounded by friends, family, loved ones, or maybe you just need some me time and you get to get some quiet time to yourself. Whatever it is you need, that's what I hope you guys got. And uh, we're going to be talking about a whole bunch of things today because we got a lot of questions backed up here that we need to get caught up on. And thank you to all you guys who sent in those questions. Um, I will let you know a little bit of house cleaning here. A couple of things. Uh, first thing I should mention is this. If you are not already a subscriber to the John Campia YouTube channel, why don't you take a second and go ahead and click on that subscribe button. Become a subscriber, keeping you up to date on all the things that we've got going on here at the John Campia Show. Also, don't forget that Monday, the John Campia Show returns with me and Robert Meyer Burnett. And uh, I'm going to let you know, tomorrow which is Sunday, December the 27th in the afternoon. We haven't set an exact time yet, but sometime in the afternoon. We are going to be doing uh, my Wonder Woman 84 open spoiler discussion review. So if you have seen Wonder Woman 84, either in a theater near you or on HBO Max, uh, come on by and join us for that. I'll put the live event up sometime tonight, but we'll actually launch tomorrow and we'll do a live stream of it tomorrow. And I hope you guys, if you've seen the movie, you will come and join us. I'll give you a little bit of insider information right now. I didn't love the film. I didn't love it. I didn't think it was all that bad either. I, I think it had a lot of good things going for it, but I did not love the film. But we'll talk about more, that more in depth tomorrow. I hope you guys will come and join us for that. Okay, guys. With all that down, let's not waste any more time and let's get to your live questions that we need to get caught up on here. And we're going to get things started here with actually my butt writes. I quite enjoyed Rogue One. Me too. I love it. It's probably my second favorite Disney era Star Wars movie. Like the, the Force Awakens is my absolute favorite. And then probably War Rogue One. Anyway, I quite enjoyed Rogue One and I'm really looking forward to the Andor series. I'm hoping we see K2SO again. And I was quite concerned when we didn't hear Alan Tudyk announce with the cast. Do you think we'll get more KT K2SO in that series? Well, I can tell you this. First of all, I'm with you. I love K2SO. I, I thought K2SO was one of the one of the big highlights of um, of Rogue One. I'll, all I can tell you is this: is at D23, the big Disney event, like a long time ago, ages ago, the last time they actually had a D23. It was at the exact same D23 that they announced that they were going to be doing the Obi Wan series. Um, they actually brought out. Cassian Andor and KSO. They they brought out uh, Tadak came out on stage and they announced the Cassian Andor series. Um, although at the time they didn't have an official title and they weren't telling people what it was about, but they were saying and Alan Tudyk was there a part of it. So now a lot of things could have happened between then and now, but if bringing Alan Tudyk out on stage to be a part of the announcement um, kind of uh, in a very comedic, fun way, I would put my money on K2SO being part of the Cassian Andor series. I get, nothing's guaranteed, 
But if that's an indication, I would say it's probably a pretty safe bet that he'll be there. Anyway, uh, thanks for writing that in, man. Next up, Fart Flamethrower writes, which sod slash Superman fight do you believe was more realistic or had a better verisimilitude, Man of Steel or Superman 2? Oh, that's easy, Man of Steel. And it has less to do with the fight choreography as it does with the way they shot the fight. Because the way they shot the battles in Man of Steel, they really bring you up close to it. And it really felt like it was happening, right? Like it really felt like it was happening that these aliens with the powers of the gods, if they were to have a fight, this is probably what it would feel like. And this is probably what the the collateral damage would be. And this is probably what the repercussions of that would be. And it was really more, again, a, a, a testimony to the way it was shot. It just felt real. And so on that level, uh, Flamethrower, I'm going to say the one that was more realistic, simply based on it feeling more real and had, as Rob would say, more verisimilitude, I'm going to say Man of Steel. Okay, that's my take on it at any rate. But Superman 2 is so good. All right, next up. Uh, Firefighter, I'm assuming the same guy writes, uh, which Christopher Nolan cinematographer collaboration do you prefer? Hoyt Van uh, Hoytma, uh, Interstellar, Dunkirk, Tenet, or Wally Feister, every other Nolan movie except for following? I'm asking your thought about the uh, visual output, not the overall films. No, I, I completely agree. I, I, and I got to go Wally Fister easy. Easy. Now, that's not to say that Dunkirk didn't have really good cinematography. I wasn't thrilled with the cinematography in Tenet, to be honest with you. It was very busy, but I, I didn't find it particularly inspiring. And I didn't really all that consider the um, cinematography interstellar. I mean, it was good, though. I mean, it was good. Don't, don't get me wrong. But you know what's funny? I think the best cinematography in any Christopher Nolan film, and it's not necessarily the best Christopher Nolan film, just probably the best cinematography, is actually one you wouldn't think of, but it's the prestige. Every angle, every shot was so perfectly composed. I mean, it, it really is breathtaking. And of course, you want to talk about Inception and other things like that too. Absolutely, the, the Dark Knight films. But to me, I think the best shot movie of Christopher Nolan's was probably um, uh, The Prestige, which again is one of Wally Feister. So I'm going to go with Wally Feister. All right. Uh, if you want answers, if, if you don't answer this, right, a little two, four episode miniseries, two to four episode miniseries of the first Jedi turning to the dark side and the birth of Sith, eh? I don't know, maybe a little too philosophical. I'd watch it just cause. Well, here's the problem with that. Here's the problem with that. That's not how the Sith came into being. The Sith were actually a race from a planet called Moraband, which, which they later changed in canon to Korriband. At any rate, they're actually a race of creatures, uh, a, a humanoid race that are so, like the dark side of the forest is basically sustains their entire species. And they're like such a high percentage of their populace is force sensitive. It just, you know, that was just assumed that that race was force sensitive. And thus you had the Sith Empire and all that kind of stuff. It was later on that, there was a human um, population got introduced onto the Sith homeworld. They became, anyway, long story short, Sith didn't get its introduction via a Jedi that eventually fell and became 
a bad guy and say, well, what am I? I'm a bad Jedi. There's never been one of me before. I shall call myself Sith because I like four letter words. I don't know. But they were actually, as opposed to that, an actual race. So uh, yes, a two to four. I mean, listen, a two to four limited series about the ancient Sith empire, that could be fun. But uh, unfortunately, the one you're kind of painting out while imaginative is not consistent with where the Sith came from. Anyway, there's just that. Uh, that doesn't mean you couldn't still do a story about the first Jedi to actually fall to the dark side. I mean, that could be something interesting. All right, Ryan Loner writes, Warner Brothers, I don't even know who you are. DJA, you will. Oh, I, I guarantee you, Warner Brothers knows who the DGA is, but no, it's true. The DGA is going, oh, you'll, you'll know who we are. Oh yes. Of course, Warner brothers has gotten themselves in a lot of trouble with the DGA. That's the director's guild of America. That is essentially every, every director in Hollywood. And, uh, the DGA is threatening, or at least they have dropped hints that they're discussing the possibility of having all of their directors boycott Warner brothers without DGA directors directing films that then creates the possibility that they're Fellow unions, SAG, the Screen Actors Guild, the WGA, the Writers Guild of America, will honor that. Will honor that uh, boycott, and they will not write for or act in Warner. It's it could be potentially a very big problem for Warner Brothers. It's such a big problem that there's no way Warner Brothers will let it get to that. Warner Brothers will cave on a lot of things to make sure that doesn't happen. They'll stand their ground in something. There'll be some compromise, but there is no way Warner Brothers could ever let that happen. All right, next up, an anonymous viewer writes, one of two, even though I am not a big uh, fan of Star Wars blasphemy, I just binged all of Mandalorian and found it completely delightful, particularly the father-son the father -son bond between Din and Grogu. Of course, that's Mando and Baby Yoda. I was later surprised to read and listen to actual Star Wars experts view their parting in the finale as at least a temporary closure to their story rather than their reunion being a primary objective of early season three. And while expecting Grogu to pop up, I don't see him as vital to the show. What are your thoughts? Okay. So here's my take on this. We've, I've kind of expressed a lot lately about the fact that look, Mando had the interest of all the Star Wars fans, but it was the appearance of Baby Yoda in season one, episode one, that made Mandalorian a worldwide phenomenon. And, you know, I jokingly said, I know four women in my life that literally never would have watched that show, but they watch it because of Baby Yoda, right? And I got flooded by responses from you guys saying, oh, yeah. Tons of my friends only started watching that because of Baby Yoda. Baby Yoda is just too important to the show. Now, what I do think, I absolutely believe we are going to see Baby Yoda again in season three. The fundamental difference is going to be this. Season one and season two of Mandalorian were about Baby Yoda, right? The whole point of those, the story was Baby Yoda. Mandalorian or Din is our main protagonist, but the whole point, purpose and the story, everything about that was about, number one, who is this baby? Protect this baby, get this baby to its people or to the Jedi. The show has been about and, and it's kind of centered around Baby Yoda. I don't think that will be the case in season three. I do believe Baby Yoda will be there, be it in one or two episodes or the whole season. I don't know, but Baby Yoda will be there. But it won't be like season one and season two where the story revolved around Baby Yoda. 
you know, much like this season did not revolve around Cara Dune and did not revolve around the Marshal and did not revolve around Frog Lady. It didn't even revolve around Bo-Katan or Moff Gideon. It didn't revolve around them. They were part, they were players in the story, but the story was Baby Yoda. That won't be the case in season three. Mandalore will probably, my guess is Mandalore will be the story in season three, but I still believe we'll see Baby Yoda there. Uh, again, I'm not sure if it'll be a couple episodes or it'll be the whole season, but he'll be there. It just won't revolve around him. That's my guess. No insider information. It's just my guess. All right, next up, we've got uh, Mike in Iowa writes, any update on Netflix's Jupiter Legacy? That's the Stephen Tonight show. Uh, the creator is Stephen Tonight, the creator of one of your favorite shows, Spartacus. Uh, any chance... Uh, acceptance of this show will be hampered by the success of other dysfunctional hero shows like uh, The Boys and Doom Patrol. Well, let's start with that. I don't think there will be any... I don't think because we have successful shows like Doom Patrol or The Boys or even Umbrella Academy, which is also kind of about dysfunctional heroes, that that will in any way turn people off Jupiter Legacy. What it does, though, is it sets the bar pretty high. Because The Boys, Umbrella Academy, Doom Patrol, they're awesome. Like, all three of those shows, to me, are absolute must-watch TV. I love those shows. They're fantastic. I don't think their existence will hurt Jupiter's uh, Jupiter Legacy. But, I mean, the bar they it sets is pretty high. Because if this show is merely okay, then it's going to be compared to those other fantastic shows. And that's what will hurt it. Now, if I remember correctly, uh, Transformers Boy, why am I forgetting? Tra anyway, Liz Leslie Bibb, uh, I love her. She's one of the stars on it. And Josh Dumel, that's who I was thinking of. Josh Dumel is one of the stars in it. Leslie Bibb is one of the stars in it. Um, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. And I like Stephen Tonight. So, I mean, let's see what happened. By the way, it wasn't just Spartacus. Stephen Tonight was also the director of the first or the showrunner of the first season of uh, Daredevil, if I'm not mistaken. First or second season. Whatever. He's done great work. I, I'm, I'm very interested in seeing how this turns out. All right, next up. Uh, John Campia's new pool writes, Someone mentioned why the Empire doesn't mass produce lightsabers. Outside of kyber crystals just being rare, Force sensitives are really the only ones that can wield them safely and effectively. I would be scared as hell to wield an actual lightsaber. See, to me, it wasn't even so much about... Uh, for those of you who know what's going on, on a previous episode, somebody had wrote, written in and said, you know, I, well, you know, considering lightsabers like the most powerful weapons, why didn't the Empire just mass produce them and like every stormtrooper would have a lightsaber? My proposal was on a couple levels. Number one, the, the rarity of kyber crystals. That was one problem. The second one was really, the second main problem to me is that Star Wars has always, to me, made even the assembly of a lightsaber to be a mystical, if not spiritual thing that only Force users can do. I can't think of anything in the Star Wars lore that explicitly states that off the top of my head, but it's always, to me, it's always seemed to have been implied that the making of a lightsaber is actually the rite of passage of a Force user. Um, uh, for example, you know, in Empire Strikes Back, Darth Vader seeing Luke's lightsaber saying, you have constructed a new lightsaber. Your training is complete. It's like, really? That, that? So I don't think a lightsaber can simply be put on an assembly line, 
you know, take part A, screw it into part B, assemble with part C. Yay, you've got a lightsaber. So I think it's more than that. And then uh, kind of connected to that, I think it's always also kind of been implied that really only a force user can truly wield one, right? Now, I had somebody write to me and say, well, John, Finn wielded one, true, but the movies also implied that Finn was, what strongly implied that Finn was force sensitive. So there's that. So, and Han Solo wielded one, not really. Han Solo just turned one on and cut open a dead animal. He didn't wield it per se. But again, to me, that's not the main problem. The main problem is the kyber crystal rarity issue, as well as the assembly and the creation of a lightsaber, I believe, is a mystical experience that can only really be done by Force users. I, I, But again, I say that, but I can't point to anything in Star Wars lore that specifically states that, although maybe if I thought about it more, I could. But anyway, thanks for writing that in, man. Next up, TJ Willis writes, Oh my God. On Monday, when you had the topic about the movie theaters getting aid soon, the picture in the article was of my home theater, Real Pizza in Bar Harbor, Maine. Uh, this was flippin' insane, and one of the cool things they do is have intermissions for all movies. You know what's funny? That is something I've actually been pushing for a little bit for years, is the idea of an intermission. Not for all movies. Now, back in the day, they used to do it for all movies, and there are still countries in the world today that do have intermissions during all theatrical movies. I was proposing that I believe movies that are over a certain length should have a seven-minute intermission, right? Seven, eight-minute intermission. I think it's good for everybody because you get like an hour and a half into a movie, gives you a chance to stretch your leg. Because here's the thing. A lot of people have to go because everybody's drinking these big sodas and all this kind of stuff. So you might need bathroom breaks. Here's why I think it would make for an actual better movie viewing experience. If you got movies that were, say, like three hours or longer, which are rare. So we're not even talking about very many movies. We're talking about just a small percentage of movies. But if you had movies that are three hours longer, three hours or longer, think about it. If you had an intermission halfway through the film, just think of yourself for a second. It gives you an opportunity to get up and use the bathroom so you won't have to miss anything in the movie later. Uh, it gives you a chance to go and uh, get some more snacks if you want to. It gives you an opportunity to step out into the foyer for a minute, check your phone, check your messages, reply to any important texts, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. But the benefit to everybody else is this. If you had, again, and I'm only saying this for movies that are like two hours and 50 minutes or three hours and longer. So just a small percentage of the movies. But if you had like a eight minute intermission, not only do you as an individual get to enjoy those benefits, but everybody else in the theater has less distractions. Think about it. When you get into a long movie, one of the things I notice a lot is people walking in and out to either because they they're, they got the munchies, they want to feed the snacks, or they got to go to the bathroom or something like that. If people know that at the hour and a half mark, there is an intermission coming, you will have less distractions for people. I think it'll reduce the amount of times people take their phones out, which those people shouldn't be allowed in the theater anyway. Screw all of you. Uh, but people take it for it because they know they're going to be able to go and check their phone in, in just a little bit. In about 15 minutes, I'll be able to go and check my phone. It'll be less people getting up and walking in front of you to go to the bathroom because there's an intermission company coming. People will be able to do that. It'll reduce the amount of people getting up and going out and getting new candy or whatever because there's an intermission to do that. So I think for the price tag of eight minutes, you getting your bathroom break, snack break, checking your phone break without missing any of the movie, 
And you as an audience member get to enjoy the movie experience with fewer distractions of people taking out their phones or going in and out to use the bathroom. All for the expense of an eight-minute intermission. I think it's a great idea. Gives everybody a chance to stand, stretch their legs, blah, blah, blah. And again, to be specific, only for movies of a certain length or longer. I'm not saying for most movies, and the vast majority of movies are under three hours anyway, but for those super long ones, I think there's benefit there. I really do. Now we just have to wait and see if there's any movie theaters left to even consider this. So there's all that, TJ. Thanks for writing in, man. Next up, uh, Rainier7 writes, uh, two tips and $20. Thank you, Rainier. Appreciate that, man. With West Wing leaving Netflix on the 24th, I'm rewatching it for the 100th time. I love West Wing. Uh, what are your thoughts on the West Wing in general? My wife, Vietnamese, uh, watches it to get an idea of the inner workings of the White House and U.S. politics in general, since it is hard to explain. True, it is hard to explain. Look, flat out, West Wing is one of the best shows ever. It is certainly one of the best written shows ever. It is certainly the best show about governance ever. It is a spectacular show. It has wonderful stories incredibly high level written dialogue. That's like the, the, the marquee of that show is this incredibly sharp intellectual, uh, just again, top shelf dialogue, real legitimate character evolution and development as the show progresses with real conflict amongst the characters as well. But uh, at the same time, a real bond and a real unity. I love that show. What Aaron Sorkin did with that show is incredible. That's why if you didn't know HBO max, has out right now like this special, they did a special uh, West Wing reunion uh, episode acted out on a stage with all the original cast. And it was kind of meant as a way to encourage people to go out and vote. It was wonderful. It was fantastic. If you've not watched the West Wing, you absolutely should. It's one of the great, one of the great TV shows, man. Absolutely. All right, next up, Alan writes, hi, John. I lost my father a few days ago. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that, man. I lost my, my, my wife. We, we lost my father-in-law Anne's dad uh, a couple of years back. And it's just one of the most devastating experiences ever, obviously. So my deepest condolences, dude. Uh, I lost my father a few days ago and it has been a challenge. Your show has provided me some relief and especially with my love of movies. It has been a release for me to hear you and Rob talk about movies. I appreciate all the work you do. Well, thank you so much. And again, you know, we say this all the time but it needs to be said all the time. One of the truly special and most beautiful things about movies and the fan communities that watch them or television entertainment, that, that sort of storytelling is it does not solve any of our problems, but it gives us a temporary reprieve from our problems. And during that reprieve, during that oasis, during that break, from our problems that we take, whether it's for 30 minutes or two hours or whatever, it allows our minds or spirits, whatever, to, to recover, to recuperate, to rest, become a little bit more reinvigorated. And then maybe by the story we're watching or hearing, we get a little bit inspired. Maybe we just learn to look at things a little bit differently. And what I always say is this, when I come out of a movie or a great discussion with fellow movie fans and I come back into the real world, my problems have not disappeared. They're still there. That hasn't changed. What has changed is maybe my um, perspective of those problems, my ability to deal with those problems. You know, maybe I'm able to look at them now with a fresh set of eyes. 
that I haven't before. And that's one of the most powerful and beautiful things about movies and the fan communities that surround them is that it gives us that. And I'm, I'm always grateful every day that that sort of thing is there for me. And I'm always grateful every day when we hear from people like you, Alan, that that is there for folks like you going through such situations like what you're going through. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you for being part of our community. And once again, man, deepest condolences for loss of your dad, man. And, and I'm glad that the art of storytelling and the fan communities around it can be there for you. So, th so thank you for sharing that, dude. All right, next up, Shane Bennis writes, I have a hunch that Mandalorian season three will involve the return of the Mandalorian uh, covert from Navarro in some way, possibly creating kind of a John Wick three situation with all the Mandalorians gunning for Din uh, Jiren to my uh, to try and claim the dark saber. Well, I mean, there has been a theory since the end of season one that at some point the armor, like the, the lady who headed that covert, who is like a John Wick character in and of herself at some point would come hunting for Din. I mean, no one's been able to come up with a good reason why she'd be hunting for him, but whether it's because she finds out he takes his mask off or something else, maybe it's the, um, maybe it's the, uh, the dark saber itself. I, I have a feeling that we're going to see a lot more of them come in, but I don't know if they'll be hunting for Din. Din. I, I got a feeling, and I don't know this, I'm just guessing that, We'll see them, but they'll be a part of joining the cause to retake the home world of the Mandalore. So I don't know. Maybe it will be a John Wick 3 situation, but they're going to have to come up with a good reason why. Maybe the Darksaber is that, maybe not. Um, but I have a feeling it's going to be more of them joining the cause. We'll find out. We will absolutely find out. Thanks for writing that in, Shane. Next up, the Wakandan Forever writes, you never saw Kingdom, uh, Kingdom being the MMA show, not the Korean zombie show. Uh, I'll admit the trailers suck, but if you go to the YouTube comments uh, to it, it is all unanimous praise. It's really right up your alley, and and it's so underrated, it's a crime. If you watch the pilot alone, you will eat your words. Well, I haven't got any words. I've never said a bad thing about it, other than the trailers are terrible. Um uh best MMA show ever to exist. Well, there's never really been an MMA show, so that's not hard. So there's this. A show called Kingdom, I guess, that uh, is based around mixed martial arts. And I think one of the Jonas Brothers is in it. Anyway, the trailers looked really bad to me. And I only know a couple of people who have seen it and they didn't like it. So I've got this huge list of shows that I still need to get caught up on. So I, I don't have a lot of interest in watching Kingdom. And I really don't have a lot of time to watch it. Hell, episode four of The Expanse has been out for days now, and I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. So I certainly don't have time to watch a show I'm not all that interested in. But again, maybe someday, maybe when I hear from enough people like I did with uh, Harley Quinn, maybe I'll give it a shot. All right, thanks for that, Wakanda Forever. All right, next up, Stubble McShave writes, The end of The Mandalorian Season 2, when a Jedi arrives, is a photonegative image of the end of Rogue One when Vader wrecks shop, uh, red versus green lightsaber, uh, flailing versus succeeding in getting what they're after. People die when fleeing versus robots destroy when attacking. Well, I mean, it's not actually a photo negative image. It is. I mean, we've all seen all the, the YouTube videos now, right? Where they put the scene of Rogue One right beside the scene of Mandalorian season two when, when Luke shows up. All right. But even if you go back behind that, even if you go into the animated shows, some powerful force user ripping through a bunch of cannon fodder has been done before. 
Like we've seen that done before. This wasn't the first time, but yeah, but it's not exactly the same. It's not like it's a photorealistic shot for shot rethink of it. The only difference is the color of the lightsaber. No, they're, they're still pretty different, but you know, they do communicate what they're communicating. It was so good to see though. Uh, Pierre writes, I rewatched rebels. And when Sabine shows the saber to her mom in season three, her mom says to her that she didn't uh, win it against Maul, so she has no claim to it. So logically, Bo-Katan can have it also with no claim until Maul claims it or loses it to another person. Uh, again, here's the problem with that, Pierre. They've thrown the rational logic out the window. They've thrown the, the rational reasoning out the window. What they do now is they make up new things to explain why they're breaking their canon. And they make up new things to try to say, see, it's really not all that bad of a break. I mean, they did it with the whole sect of the Mandalorian. They wanted Mandalorian to be a dude who never takes his mask off. So they needed to come up with a reason why him and the people he's around didn't. When we all saw before that the Mandalorians do. So they come up with this thing, okay, they're this zealot sect and they don't take their helmets off and blah. Okay, that's fine. They still broke canon, but they came up with something to try to explain it. The same thing's going to happen here. Look, there's no all I've read all these semantic arguments till till people are blue in the face. But the reality is this. When Sabine Wren handed over the dark saber to Bo-Katan in Rebels, nobody objected. It wasn't even brought up as a nobody even had a thought of it being improper or not quite right. Right? Nobody even suggested that, well, Bo, you could take that uh, Darksaber, but it, you can't, you don't really get to lead us. Nobody, nobody even mentioned it. Therefore, in Mandalorian culture, it was no problem to be handed the lightsaber or to be handed the Darksaber. Even beyond that, there was certainly nothing that said you had to actually fight. I mean, if there was a rule like that, which they had never said before, Din found the loophole around that. He looks at her and says, okay, I yield. Okay, I yield. Because even in the previous stuff, such combat didn't have to happen to the death. It just happened to somebody yielded. Or knocked out. Din actually fulfilled every obligation you would have theoretically had. Literally speaking, okay, when you look at the, the, the record book in there was a fight between Bo-Katan and Din Jarin. Bo-Katan won. Not by knockout, but by submission. Din submitted. He yielded. He, he said, I yield. And so they they throw in this new thing. No, 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 you can't just yield. It has to be a, a real legitimate fight. That was that's never been said anywhere. That's never been said anywhere. Now, so what they will do now is they will make up new things and try to retrofit it to the stuff before to say, see, it's really not all that big of a contradiction. It was a contradiction. And here's the point. I, I said this on the previous episode of the companion videos as well, is that I used to be an incredibly hardcore stickler for canon when it comes to Star Wars. Canon is canon is canon, and that's sacred. You do not violate canon in Star Wars. But they've been doing it so much the last few years, like so much in the last few years, I'm just kind of over it. 
And it's like, okay, as long as you're breaking canon for the purposes of your storytelling, then I'm okay with it. Because I've always said story comes first. And if you've got something that you think is going to make a really great story, but canon gets in the way of it a little bit, I'm I'm now to the point, five years ago I wouldn't have been, but today I'm at a point where I'm like, I can accept that. Come up with your little semantic song and dance to make it look like it's not that big of a violation, but it is. As long as your motivation and the purpose of it is to tell your story. And if it's to tell your story, then I'm not going to let the details of canon get in the way too much, right? Make everybody happy. Tell a great story. At the end of the day, that's what we need. And if that's what they do, I'm all for it. I'm okay with it. I'm like, five years ago, I wouldn't have been pure. I would have been raising a total stink about it. But today, I'm like, whatever. Just tell your story. As long as the story's good, we're good. All right, Murray Reich writes, I recently saw the film uh, Fatal uh, with stars Michael. Oh, I know this one. Hillary Swank and Michael uh, Coulter. And it was pretty good. Uh, that's Luke Cage, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it was pretty good. Third act was okay. But overall, a nice little mystery thriller. Early performance was great. Uh, 5.8 out of 10. Saw it in AMC Dolby and it was a great experience, although empty. Yeah, I have. I did not see it. Saw very, very little. Actually, let me double check to make sure it's the same movie that I'm thinking about. I think it is. Uh, yeah, it's the same movie I was thinking about. Uh, okay, after a one-night stand, a, success, a successful married man finds himself entangled in a cunning police detective's latest investigation. Hillary Swank, of course, is a uh, an Academy Award winner. Uh, Michael Coulter um, is, is great. I don't know why this isn't coming up. Why isn't this coming up? This should totally be coming up. Let me see if I can uh, correct this. Yeah, there we go. Um, Coulter is great. I'm not a big fan of the Luke Cage show, but I love him and just about everything he pops up in. So I have not watched it yet. I know. I think I might have seen a teaser for it once. It's like, seriously, I think I saw like one teaser for it and that's it um, <laughs> all along the way. So I'm glad you saw it and I'm glad you enjoyed it, man. Even if it's not uh, the greatest rating in the world. All right. Thanks for that, Murray. Next up. Uh, Stubble McShave writes, over under 35% Grogu is set up for being a master in new movies or series set a couple of hundred years in the future. I'm going to go under 35% on that. I don't think that's what they're aiming for, but I, I, I'm saying under 35%. I'm not saying impossible. I'm not saying zero. I'm not saying 1%, but if you're going to set the over under 35, I definitely think it's the safe money to take the under on that. There's, there's a, uh, again, getting into canon. There's just a lot of things in Star Wars that that would have to contradict. Like, not just one little point or one little scene. It would have to contradict a lot of things about Star Wars in order for them to do that. And so suddenly, magically jumping a few hundred years into the future, I don't see that being in their playbook. But again, I'm not saying it's impossible, and I wouldn't bet $1,000 against it, but on a 35% being the over-under, I'm going to take the under on that. All right, thanks for that, Stubble. Next up, Anonymous Viewer writes, I saw somebody write in about Kingdom. Here we go, back to Kingdom again. Uh, write in about Kingdom. 
I saw it over quarantine and it's actually fantastic. I don't know who told you it sucked. I had a few friends of mine didn't like it, uh, but you should judge for yourself. Uh, if you, well, I'm not, I didn't judge it at all. I'm not just cause somebody told me it sucked. Doesn't mean I believe it sucks. I just know I'm not interested in it. That That's all. Um, if you appreciate MMA, it's the best uh, Christmas present you can give yourself. The casting and the M MMA fights are great. Well, I mean, stack that one up as another vote for having to check it out. If I keep hearing more of those. I might have to check it out at some point. Thanks for throwing your voice in there, there with that anonymous. All right, next up, Wakandan Forever writes, this Christmas is especially emotional for all the Wakandans out there. My holiday watch list includes Ma Rainey's Black Bottom with Chadwick Boseman, King T'Challa himself, uh, and first ever Pixar. By the way, some Oscar, there's some Oscar whispers going around for Chadwick Boseman for that film. Just saying. Um, and the first ever Pixar film with a black lead in Soul. I'm going to be a puddle. Yeah, I, I did my review of Soul the other day. I liked Soul. It's, it's quite good. I didn't love it. Like to me, it's not a top, top shelf, um, like the, the total upper echelon of Pixar films. Like I wouldn't put soul up there with say up or put soul up there with, you know, the top tier picture, but it is a truly worthy Pixar movie, which is high praise, really good film. Um, again, I didn't completely love it, but the moral of the story is not what you think. The moral of the story is actually quite counterintuitive. And I found myself, once it really became clear what the actual moral of the story was for soul, I felt really inspired. It's, it's really quite beautiful and it makes you reevaluate yourself a little bit. And again, you're going to start watching soul thinking, you know what the moral of the story is. It's not, it's something different. And that kind of curveball to me was the biggest strength of the movie. So I, I enjoyed it. Make sure you check it out if you get a chance. All right, next up, we go to Bojax who writes one of two. Hi, John. A lot of people use the term cookie cutter or assembly line when describing the MCU. Yeah, I completely disagree with that. I've, I've shredded that argument numbers of times. That That's a, that's a false misnomer. Not to say that everybody loves needs to love the MCU movies. It's totally subjective. I mean, if you like them, you like them. If you don't, you don't. That's all fine. But the specific argument, the, the, the quantifiable argument that they are cookie cutter and all kind of one of the same, I've shredded that argument before. Anyway, numbers of times. Anyway, uh, this seems reductive to me. While there is a certain formula, I think between their upcoming shows and movies, Movies in the past, movies like Guardians, Winter Soldier, and Ragnarok come to mind. They've proven they're not afraid to take chances and uh, be trendsetters. Looking forward to seeing what they do with WandaVision and the half-hour comedy, She-Hulk. It's going to be interesting what kind of show She-Hulk is going to be. I mean, we all have got our opinion and, and guesses as to what it will be, but we really don't know yet, so we got to keep that in mind. No, listen, all movies to a degree have a certain formula, right? Uh, they're for 99% of the time, there are three X structures, the traditional uh, boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets girl back sort of thing. Uh, those are the, that's your basic description of a three X structure. But uh, the notion of there is a hero, there comes along a villain that poses a threat. The hero then has to engage with the villain and figure out a way to stop the villainous thing. And then at the, in the third act, we come to our resolution where the hero wins the day. That is not just superhero movies. That is the general template for a lot of rom-coms, a lot of dramas, a lot of comedies. I mean, th th there's that. That is there. By the way, and both Marvel and DC movies all fall into that 
basic formulaic structure. But it's when you get into those things, do they really make themselves distinctive from other ones also following that basic structure? And yes, they do. Uh, DC does a pretty good job of this. You know, you watch Batman versus Superman and then watch Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey. Those are two completely different movies. They both follow that basic structure, but they're still two really completely different movies. When you look at the MCU, if you watch Ant-Man, it's completely different than Winter Soldier and so on and so forth. Doctor Strange is very different from Endgame and so on and so forth. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a, look, it's not nonsensical to say, Hey, the MCU movies don't work for me. It's a subjective experience. If they don't work for you, they don't work for you. Nothing wrong with that. But I think it is a fallacy to say, Oh, the MCU movies are like cookie cutter assembly line movies. That's just, that's just definitively incorrect. That's just wrong outside of anything that you could then propose all film follows certain traditional structures and stuff like that. Is that true of the MCU? Sure. But it's also true of everything else. It's true of Christopher Nolan movies. It's true of DC movies. It's true of anything you can think of. So there's that. All right. Next up, Connor Farley writes, hi, John, did you get a chance to see the trailer for little things with Denzel? I did with Denzel Washington, Rami Malek and Jared Leto, three Academy award winners, not bad leading your film. Uh, if so, what are your thoughts? It gave me a major seven vibes. And that for me is a very, very good thing. Seven along came a spider like these, like really cool late eighties, early to mid nineties, like murder, serial murder, like thrillers. Love those. I eat those movies up. Eat them up. You add a cast like this into a story like that, done. I'm completely on board. So I I was grinning from ear to ear like an idiot watching that trailer. John, you were smiling about a serial killer? What can I tell you? The, The movie excites me. The movie excites me. And so, yeah, I was a little late to watch. I didn't see it the day it came out. I saw it like the next day. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Cannot wait to see this thing. Cannot wait to see these three Academy Award winning actors acting against each other on screen being led by Denzel Washington. Come on. Come on. This is going to be great. I'm already I am totally believing this movie is going to be great. I mean, who knows? Maybe it'll suck, but I am choosing to believe this movie is going to be awesome and I cannot wait to watch it. All right. Thanks for writing that in, uh, Connor. Next up. We've got Casey McNatt who writes, Hey, John, just wondering if you recently saw the trailer for the newest Denzel Washington film called Little Things. I know I haven't. Not a, I haven't heard of that one. It's a crime drama also starring Rami Malek and Jared Leto, and I think it looks interesting. What are your thoughts? Well, again, we just, just kind of answered that. Uh, again, I am, I'm dying to see this. I'm dying to see this. And again, what I, look, Rami Malek's now got two films that I'm dying to see. You know, uh, No Time to Die, the James Bond film, and now The Little Things. He's in two of the ones I'm just dying to see, which is great. I think, and I personally think Jared Leto's a fantastic actor. And Denzel, well, he's one of the, the pantheon of the gods when it comes to acting. Denzel is Denzel's Denzel. Nothing else needs to be said. All right, next up. Uh, that Norwegian guy writes, with the pandemic... How can studios announce dates for theatrical releases if it's still going to be on in April? And will Black Widow be delayed again or eventually end up on Disney Plus? I mean, how long can they uh, how long are they going to delay before they have to make a decision? I mean, well, listen, 
they can announce movies coming out in April because the reality is right now, April is still four months away. We've seen that the, um, the vaccines are now being administered. They're saying they're seeing good effects. From the, they're saying the vaccines are working. We're going to have a lot bigger of a percentage of our population, not everybody, but we're going to have a lot bigger of our, of our percentage of our population than we are today uh, vaccinated by the time you know April rolls around. So there's all that. April isn't next week. April isn't next week. But, but, let, let me step back for a second. You have to keep moving forward. You have to keep moving forward. Because if you don't have your movies announced and you don't have release dates set, and you don't start to work on what your marketing campaigns are going to be, and you just decide to be pessimistic and say, well, the theaters might not be open. Then when they are open, if they're open, and things are going, then you're caught with your pants down and you were unprepared. You prepare for one thing, but be ready for something else. Prepare to release this film in April. Whichever film we're talking about, April, May, June, whatever. But at the same time, you do also have to be aware that, hey, we might have to delay that again, or we might have to pull the plug on it and just ditch it onto a streaming service. You have to be prepared for that, yes, but you still have to move forward, right? You still got to move forward. And so you got to be ready to go. And so I think a lot of me, now, yes, a movie like Black Widow, can they delay it one more time? I think they could delay it one more time. I mean, if there was a time, and I thought they were going to announce it going to Disney Plus at their Disney investor event a couple of weeks ago, and they didn't. That was the time to do it. By staying theatrical with it, that means they're pretty committed. So I think they could delay it one more time, but at some point, yeah, even a movie like Black Widow, you just got to pull the plug on it. You can only have a movie sitting on a shelf for so long. But Disney seems to think that things will be able to get back to a relative or at least start to look like normal again, whatever that's going to be at some point. So they feel good. And as a matter of fact, I just got an email. I think I already showed you, you guys this email. I'll bring it up here again. But I just got this email from Disney uh, a short time ago. And like just kind of reminding me of, all of their upcoming stuff and look how much stuff of it is theatrical. yes you do have wandavision uh pixar popcorn flora and ulysses uh and ryan the last dragon which is going to be the only one they're doing in theaters and on disney plus at the same time it's the only one they're doing that but uh the kingsman they've got that set as theatrical bob's burgers they've still got set for theatrical uh, Ron's Gone Wrong, still set for theatrical. Black Widow, obviously Black Widow, still set for theatrical. Free Guy, the Ryan Reynolds movie, still set for theatrical. Cruella, which we had heard they were going to move that to Disney+. Plus. We heard definitively they were going to move Cruella to Disney+. Plus. They're sticking with that to theatrical. The, the Luca film is going to still be theatrical. I mean, there's a lot. Shang-Chi theatrical. Jungle Cruise theatrical. Deep Water theatrical. 
Uh, Death on the Nile is a big one. They're going to do theatrical. Uh, the Last Duel with Ben Affleck. That's going to be theatrical. The Eternals is obviously theatrical. I mean, they had a lot of stuff listed that was still going to be theatrical. But of course, as Mike Tyson would say, everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the mouth. And if the theatrical industry, if the movie industry gets punched in the mouth again, they'll have to reassess. But for now, you plan. You plan accordingly, say, this is when we're going to release. And if things go well, you're able to do it and you're prepared for it. And if they don't, well, then you have plan B. But for now, that's why they, they keep moving forward with this. All right. Thanks for that Norwegian guy. Next up, Patrick writes, have you heard about the new law uh, stuck inside the COVID relief bill that punishes streamers that pirate uh, with a felony of up to 10 years? Some YouTubers are worried, uh, but not sure if that's a valid concern. What do you know and what's your take? Yeah, so... Here's the thing. One of the things about lawmaking that drives me crazy, and believe me, both Republicans and Democrats do this all the time, and it bothers the hell out of me, is they pass these bills that are about one thing, and they will sneak in laws about something else. Here's an example. Let's say... I'm trying to get a law passed about, and we call it the No Kicking Puppies Act of 2020, sponsored by Senator John Campia or Congressman, whatever. And it's supposed to be a law that makes kicking puppies illegal. Everybody can get on board with that, right? That's a good law. That's a good bill. Nobody thinks you should be allowed to kick puppies. Yeah, so I've got the anti-kicking puppy bill. But... It's like a 700-page document. And hidden within that document is a subsection that says, oh, by the way, you can't wear uh, blue tennis shoes anymore. If you wear blue tennis shoes, you go to jail. What? What does that have to do with kicking puppies? Nothing. No, we just, we just don't like blue tennis shoes. And we can't get the blue tennis shoes law passed. So we'll kind of hide it inside the no kicking puppies bill. And if you think that sounds ridiculous, don't. They do it all the time. They do it all the time. These laws that are supposed to be about one thing, but hidden within them are these clauses dealing with something completely different. Case in point, the COVID relief bill has within it this... uh, What's the best way for me to put this? Has stipulations in it dealing with people who illegally stream movies. Now, here's the thing. Uh, YouTubers have nothing to worry about. Uh, Average uh, internet users have nothing to worry about when it comes to this thing that's in there. It really has to do more with uh, online uh, presences who take mass amounts of illegal content and stream and distribute it, particularly for profit. Not the this this really isn't a law that targets people at home who d- decides to watch a, a, a pirated version of Mandalorian season one. It really doesn't have anything to do with that. Um, it really has to do more with like there was one example of these guys who basically set up this online business where they basically were streaming all this pirated stuff and they made like a million dollars doing it. It's really more targeted at those people. So honestly, for YouTubers, there's really nothing to worry about. At the same time, um, 
I don't feel any sympathy for anybody that gets busted by this rule. You know, pirating movies is illegal. You know that it is. This isn't this new rule they're they're trying to sneak into the COVID package isn't anything new. It's not like it's making illegal streaming illegal. It's already called illegal streaming. We already know it's illegal. I have no sympathy for people who get busted doing something they knew was wrong and they knew was illegal and they get busted. But in this specific case, it seems to be properly worded that it's gotten a lot of support. Um, And so I don't, so right now I'm not an expert on this particular specific issue but right now it sounds like there's really not much to worry about at this point patrick but let's keep our eyes open for it shall we all right next up mr nobody writes john are you sure warner would lose if they went to court absolutely they would and i'll tell you why in a second uh you'd think they'd have a plan to back up uh their movies before doing what they did you would think uh as also as a uh, very off-topic side note what's your favorite uh D class uh probably wizard Uh, Anyway, yes, listen, Deadline was just reporting that one of the movies that Warner Brothers wants to debut specifically on HBO Max is the Will Smith film King Richard about Richard, Venus and Serena Williams' father that our own Aaron Cummings is going to appear in. Deadline, though, uncovered the fact that um, it's actually specifically in two different things. It's specifically number one in Will Smith's contract that he only agreed to do this movie as a traditional theatrical release. That's in his contract, period. Also, apparently, according to Deadline, Venus and Serena Williams and the family only agreed to allow Warner Brothers to have this because it was going to get a proper theatrical release. When you make those agreements, you can't just suddenly say, oh, we change our minds. We're not doing that now. That's not how contract law works. Now, they might think that, oh, Will and the the, the Venus and Serena family won't have any problem with this. Maybe they thought that. They'd be fools if they thought that. Maybe they thought, oh, if Will Smith or the Williamses raise a fuss, We'll offer them a million dollars or something and we'll make it go away. Maybe they thought that. Uh, maybe they thought, eh, what's it worth it to us? Is it worth $50 million? Like if Will Smith says, you know, if Will Smith gets his, because you know he can afford really good lawyers. You think if they come up and say, you know, we want, Your Honor, we want $100 million for punitive damages. That's Whenever you hear the term punitive, Punitive is basically punishment. So like, for instance, let's say you and I had a contract and you were going to pay me a hundred dollars if I came over and cleaned your camera and I came over and cleaned your camera and you never paid me. So I sue you. Now I sue you for that a hundred for that 100. Did we say a hundred dollars? Yeah. hundred dollars. I sue you for that one hundred dollars. But I can also put into that lawsuit, I also want $50,000 in punitive damages. I want $50,000 like tacked on as punitive, like punishment for blatantly violating our contract. 
right? So punitive that you've, so you've probably often heard that, you know, the, you know, they, they got sued for so-and-so and this and this and this and punitive things, right? That's, that's what that basically kind of means. I'm way oversimplifying it, but you'll get the gist. This can be very, very expensive for them. And so it, maybe they decide if it becomes an issue, we'll play it out and we'll see. Maybe we'll figure we'll lose $10 million and maybe $10 million we're willing to eat to still put it up on HBO Max day one. Or maybe it's not. And maybe it's more than $10 million that this will cost us. Maybe it'll cost us $70 million. Or by, by the time you get through both Will Smith and the Williams family, this could get really expensive. If it does, then we'll just backtrack like it looks like they're probably going to do with Dune. We don't know for sure yet, but it looks like that's what's going to happen. They'll just backtrack and say, okay, okay, okay. King Richard gets a full theatrical release. But I know. We'll have to see how this all kind of plays out. All right, next up. Uh, Quintus uh, Dacian writes, uh, hey, John and crew, today's my birthday. Well, this was obviously a couple days ago, but happy belated birthday to you, my friend. I hope you had a fabulous birthday. Uh, just writing to say, I enjoy listening to you guys while I'm at work and I love the show. Thank you so much for that, man. Also, if I'm not mistaken, I've seen Rob wear a black pink t-shirt one, uh, one stream you had. Now that's verisimilitude. Good on you, gentlemen. Yes, you're not wrong. He was wearing a black pink t-shirt. Uh, that I, I I don't under, I don't, K-pop is dumb. <laughs> I mean, that is no insult to anybody who's in that stuff. That's just my own subject. Like, I can listen to anything. I've listened to trance, and I, I've got, like, when you go to my playlist, it's got a little bit of everything on it. There's only two things you won't find on it. When you go to my, like, my over, my overall playlist, and what I have in my likes lists, which is, like, hundreds long, there's only two things you won't find. Country and K-pop. The only two things you won't find. I, I've, try, I've tried. I've got a buddy of mine, Soul, who's like ridiculously into K-pop. Like goes to BTS concerts when they're in the LA area. And, and yeah, he's, he's a grown ass man anyway. And I, I've tried to listen to it. I have to try. I'm like, this just, this isn't good. But that's just me. That's just me. Right? There are tons of people out there who love it. There are tons of people out there who love country. So I'm not putting down K-pop or country. It's just that to me, music, like every other art, is subjective. And to me, it just sounds like really bad. But that's just me. That's just me. That doesn't mean other people shouldn't love it and shouldn't enjoy it. And, uh, you know, I've, I've got a little bit of a, of a bro crush on uh, Blake Shelton. It is what, even though I don't like country music. Is what it is. I can't explain it to you. Anyway, hope you had a fabulous birthday, my friend. And here's hoping for many, many more. All right, next up. N. Day writes, I can't think of a more arrogant director than M. Night. I enjoy some of his films, even Signs. Oh, yeah, I, I thought Signs was, until the last part, I thought Signs was great. The ending with throw cups of water on people, whatever. But honestly, for the most part, Signs is, is pretty wonderful. I, I really enjoy Signs for the most part. Uh, but his utter disregard for Avatar uh, and the fans makes me never, ever want to see him come near DC, Marvel, or any uh, adaptations. He should make original films. See, I Listen, here's the thing. There is no denying. You know, I, I recently rewatched uh, Avatar, The Last Airbender, the M. Night movie, because I recently finally saw watched the entire Avatar series, including Legend of Korra. And then I thought, well, you know what? I should go back and revisit that movie again now. And it truly is awful. I mean, that, that movie's awful. It really is. But I'm going to say something unpopular. 
And I said this, I, I did a whole, not a whole video, but I made this as one of my main topics on a video I did uh, after rewatching Avatar The Last Airbender, the, the M. Night version of it. And I, I said this then, and I still believe it now. While the results of that movie were terrible, it's a terrible film. No getting around it. It's absolutely dreadful. That being said, if you, as a fan, I believe this, if you get out of your own way as a fan and take out your preconceived prejudices and everything about what this movie is supposed to be like, and if if we are able to take those and put those aside and just watch the movie that M. Night made, it's still terrible. But I saw what he was going for. You know, I saw what he was trying to do. I didn't get that the first time I saw it. Like the first time I saw Avatar, uh, the M. Night movie in theaters, it was just like an ugly, ugly train wreck, period, done. Like this movie sucked. When I watched it the, the next time though, after seeing the animated show, I could see what he was trying to accomplish. And I could see what it was he was trying to do. And remember, he was trying to cram an awful lot of story into that two hours thing. And it does not take away that the results were garbage. But he was not trying to disrespect fans. He was trying to make fans happy. Here's the problem with us as movie fans. And I say us because we all do it, including this guy. We all do this, all right? One of the big problems with us as movie fans is sometimes we are really stupid and again, I think I say I'm saying this is all of us. We are really stupid in the sense that we think making a good movie is easy. And if somebody makes a bad movie, they must have just not tried. Or they didn't respect. They, like a great example of this was that horrible 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 Dungeons and Dragons movie. I mean, it's worse than M Night's Last Airbender. It's worse than that one. It's terrible. But it was made by probably one of the world's top 10 Dungeons and Dragons enthusiasts who loves Dungeons and Dragons and who is a major part of the fan community of Dungeons and Dragons and practitioners of Dungeons and Dragons. And you know that that guy wanted to make a movie that Dungeons and Dragons fans would love and it would honor the game and also bring it to a wider audience and blah, blah. You know that's what he wanted to do. You know that's what he was trying. But he failed. And, and that's fine, right? That's fine. Because... Making a good movie is not easy. If you make a movie that people like, that is Herculean. Especially when you consider like how subjective it is. I mean, just look what's happening with Wonder Woman 84 right now. A lot of people love it. A lot of people hated it. I'm kind of in the middle. I didn't love it. But, but I didn't think it was bad. But anyway, that's where I'm at. But just look at that. It's not easy. It's hard. And so we as film fans constantly make this obnoxious mistake. And again, this is all of us of just, we just assume that, Oh, if a movie's bad, how do you screw up making a good movie? It's easy. Anybody could do it. I could do it. No, you can't. No, you can't. You should try. I encourage everybody to try. I, I do it. I can't make Hollywood level quality productions. I can't do it. Most of us can. It's a rare gift for those who can do it and do it well on that level. And we think, oh, if they didn't do it, it's because they just didn't try or they didn't care. No, they tried, they cared, 
And a lot of times you can get somebody in a filmmaker who really did try and who really did care and really thought they were making something that people would love and enjoy and hopefully celebrate. And it, then at the end of the day, figure out they, they didn't do it. They, they dropped the ball. It didn't work out the way they had hoped it would work out. It happens. It happens. And that to me was the most interesting thing I took away from my, my most recent viewing of that movie was that, oh boy, yep, this is terrible. It is all kinds of terrible. But when you look beyond the terribleness, I could see, I could see what M. Night was trying to do. And there are some things he did that he did that I was actually quite impressed with that he was able to do. But when you look at he was trying. He wanted to make something that av hardcore Avatar fans would love. He just failed. But let's uh, let's criticize the result of it. Let's not attack the character of the dude. That, I mean, he's done some things we can attack his character for. But let's not attack his character for not being able to crank out a great movie that one time. I don't know. It's just kind of my take on that end day. Just kind of my take on that. Uh, but listen, he's done other things like the infamous story with uh, Lady in the Water and his how he fell out with Disney and all that kind of stuff and things like, I'll never work with this again and writing his own thing called How M. Night, you know, Saved the World. And oh. there, he's done many, many things to completely back up your statement that he is one of the more arrogant directors out there. But I choose to believe that maybe he's not that anymore. At least I, I hope not. All right. Anyway, next up, I'll always cheer for the, for the sham hammer. I'll always cheer for the sham hammer. <laughs> anyway, uh, Casey McNatt writes, Hey John, listen, um, uh, listen, the deal with HBO and WB is, is what it is. But I feel like if you're working for a business, and the owner makes a decision that will impact something that you have been working on without telling you about it uh, first is just bad business. Oh, it absolutely is. Like, that's... You know, a lot of filmmakers traditionally... Warner Brothers is traditionally one of the most iconic um, institutions in all of Hollywood. And that's why, you know, Christopher Nolan said, you know, people... A lot of filmmakers went to bed thinking they were working for the greatest movie studio out there. And they woke up finding out that they were actually working for the worst streaming service out there. It, it, that's why Denis Villeneuve. And that's why, um, uh, 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 who, who, why am I freezing on? But uh, uh, Christopher Nolan. That's why Christopher Nolan and Denis Villeneuve and like a, num a long list of directors came out and, and Judd Apatow even and many others came out and said like, we thought we were making the movie, these movies for this particular thing. We thought this was what was happening to these movies. That was the understanding you gave us. And now without even talking to us, you turn around and did that. And the thing is, it's not just not telling them. They actually violated some contractual agreements with people, including with Legendary, including breaking several DGA rules, including like people like Will Smith who had specific a specific contract for what it's supposed to be. And they did all of it with that. Look, I don't care. Here's the thing. I don't care if you're one of these people who you want movie theaters to die and you want to just stay at home all the time and never leave your house and, and just watch on streaming and you want all these movies to go straight to HBO. That's fine. You can have that opinion. You can have that opinion and that's cool. But what you cannot get away from, what you cannot get away from 
is how Warner Brothers acted in this situation was total BS. Total BS. They snuck around like a sniveling little cowardly, you know, weasel in the middle of the night to make sure nobody else knew what they were going to do and came out and made these public announcements. We're moving all these movies to HBO Max and their production partners, their financers, their directors, their actors, their writers, all the people who has invested stakes in these movies. They didn't tell any of them about it first. They just made this announcement public. And meanwhile, these, all these people that like, including especially legendary who, you know, there's going to be a real come to Jesus moment with legendary who paid for a couple of those movies who have contractual agreements and obligations like with, from Warner Brothers, they didn't even talk to Legendary about it. They had these contracts with Will Smith, didn't even talk to him about it. A lot of these directors, Denis Villeneuve, the director of Dune, he found out about it like you and I found out about it through Twitter and on the news. I mean, it doesn't matter whether you're somebody who's on the side of like you want to maintain the theatrical uh, model or you're on the side of, I want everything to become a streaming model. It doesn't matter which side of that you're on. You've There's no getting around it. You have to acknowledge that what Warner Brothers did was a weaselly little sniveling coward move. You know, Chris Nolan is scary. Let's just not tell him and let's just release, or, or, or Denis Villeneuve is scary. Let's not tell him and just make the announcement without telling him. Maybe he won't notice. Like it was a sniveling coward BS Bush League cowardly move. If you believe in it, then you talk to these people first. You reach out to Legendary, who paid for Dune and paid for Godzilla versus Kong. You reach out to your production partners. You reach out to the DGA. You reach out to these parties all in advance and say, look, guys, given that, and you make your case. And even if they don't agree with you after that, at least you brought them into the conversation. You heard their side of things before you made your decision. And if they don't like your decision, we'll deal with that later. But if you really believed in your move, then you would have the guts and the conviction to talk to the other parties that your decision is going to impact and affect. Right? You talk to them first. Like I, just as an example, when I, after I left AMC, um, and I, they, so just, just to sum up here, when I left AMC, I had a lot of offers to do a bunch of things. I sort of had this one thing lined up to do. And then the people at Complex who own Collider, I connected with them. And they were interested in me coming along and creating this video division and having, you know, there would be Collider and there would be Collider video. And they wanted me to function this Collider video thing and build this Collider video thing. And I said, sure. And then I had, you know, I still had contacts and connections uh, at AMC, including the higher highest people there. And I kind of mentioned them what I was looking at doing. And that's when they let me in on the information that they were going to close AMC Movie News down, which surprised me and really was a mistake because their belief was AMC Movie News wouldn't be able to function without me there. 
I don't think that was true, case in point, because Dennis Zen was there. Dennis Zen was going to head that ship, and that thing would have been fine. It would have been fine with Dennis running it. But anyway, so they were going to close it down. And then they made the proposal to me, hey, if you do go over to Claire, what would you think about taking your team with you and taking the movie talk brand and taking it all with you and AMC will become a sponsor and, and we'll work out this deal. And I said, that's interesting. I think that has some potential merit because I wanted to save that team. So I'm like, okay, let me, let me talk to the complex people. While that was going on, you know, and I told the complex people, I'm going to have some discussions with some parties involved. I didn't let it get out and become public knowledge, but I did pull together a number of the people involved still with AMC Movie News to let them know that these discussions were now happening because it was going to affect them to say, hey, just so you know, AMC is telling me they're most likely going to shut down AMC after a few weeks after I leave. But there is a proposal on the table of shifting everything over into complex and everything keeps running. But this affects you. I talked to a number of, not all, not everybody there, but I talked to a good number of the players who were involved, including Dennis. And like, what, how do you feel about this? Now, I'm not saying that how they felt about it would have necessarily changed what I was going to do. But if it affects them, they at least deserve to be heard. What do you think? And to raise concerns and whatever. And that is something Warner Brothers simply did not do. That is simply something Warner Brothers did not do with the people who paid for the damn movies, with the directors who directed the damn movies, with the writers who wrote the damn movies, with the actors who acted in the movies, with the financiers who had you know, invested rights in these movies. They didn't even talk to them about it. They said, nah. That sounds hard. Talking to all those people sounds hard. Let's just make the announcement. It was a horrible way to do business. It was a horrible thing ethically to do. And they're going to reap some consequences for it because they acted Bush League. But anyway, that, that's a lot to do with it anyway, Casey. All right, sorry. I, I, I still get all heated about this whole war. Just the way they, they did it was just so bad. Anyway, uh, Wakanda Forever writes, I can't believe it, John. I have my first disagreement with you. Just my opinion, but Die Hard is a Christmas movie. It's absolutely not a Christmas movie. That's a great debate to have. Everybody has it. Uh, party, ho, 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 machine gun. I saw lights and your your source, Bruce Willis. What does he know about Die Hard? Anyway, happy holidays in Wakanda forever. Yeah, of course, uh, I in no way, shape, or form is Die Hard a Christmas movie. It's a movie that happens at Christmas time, but you know, there's a scene in Wonder Woman 84 that happens at Christmas time. Is Wonder Woman 84 a Christmas movie? I don't think so. So I don't think Die Hard is either, but a lot of people believe it is. And it's a fun debate for us to have for the rest of eternity. All right, next up, Detroit Dog writes, do you think having Mace instead of Luke would have been a better idea? Uh, no CGI required, and we still get a kick-ass Jedi wrecking shop. Imagine instead of seeing a green saber, it's purple. The child would just be safe with Mace as Luke, I think. No, I, I really don't. Listen, I knew that Mace Windu was a possibility right? I knew that was a possibility. And I, I certainly would have been, it would have been exciting to see Samuel Jackson in there as well. But according to lore, Luke Skywalker is far more powerful than Mace Windu. At least once he really comes into his own. On top of that, there is that little thing that Mace Windu's dead. 
So it gave them one less thing of history that they had to rewrite. Mace Windu's dead. Now, they can always bring him back. Absolutely, they can. I mean, Marvel is the Marvel fake death universe. They can certainly bring back Mace Windu if they want. But again, that gives them yet one more thing. That, and let's listen. I, let, I love Samuel Jackson. I love Samuel Jackson. Mace Windu ain't no Luke Skywalker. All right. I love Liam Neeson. I love Qui-Gon Jinn. He's dead. I, they could have come up with a way to bring him back. And I love, I love that character. But Qui-Gon Jinn ain't no Luke Skywalker. Luke Skywalker is the pinnacle for us Star Wars fans, right? So, no, it would definitely, in my opinion, and there are others who would, might have different, it would be a, it would have been far less effective, far less effective if it had been Mace Windu, which we all still would have enjoyed. I would have enjoyed it too, but it would have been far less effective. Like you would, you wouldn't have seen nearly the amount of grown men. Like you look around the reactions on YouTube of grown men in tears, crying at the appearance of Luke Skywalker. Would that have elicited the same response if it had been Mace? No. For some people, sure. But on that scale, well, I don't think so. I don't think so. And I say that as a bona fide Samuel L. Jackson fan, and it still would have been cool to see it, but better than having Luke Skywalker show up? No. No. I mean, it's a subjective opinion. Absolutely. You can feel differently, and that's totally cool. But if you're asking me, no. No, there's literally nobody you could have had. I, I, again, understand that. I'm saying that uh, that Mace Windu wouldn't have been nearly as cool as Luke Skywalker, but you got to understand the context is there is no character that you could have had show up there at the end that would have been nearly as cool as Luke Skywalker showing up. Bad CGI face and all. Story first. You don't worry about, well, will the CGI, you don't worry about that. That's not the important thing. Story first. And story-wise, the most effective thing they could have done was Luke Skywalker showing up. So, uh, to answer your question, Detroit Dog, uh, no. <laughs> would have been cool. Would have been cool. We all would have been happy. Like Mace Windu showed up, wow, with one arm and all that kind of stuff. Uh, cool. But would it have wrecked a generation of people who grew up watching Luke Skywalker down to our emotional core where you see people defecating in themselves and weeping and crying. I wouldn't have had the same effect. Just wouldn't have had the same effect. Again, that's, that's a matter of subjective opinion. It absolutely is. But since you asked me, I get to give you my subjective opinion. That's my opinion on that. All right. Luke Skywalker writes, uh, I will have a cool hallway scene like my father before me. And sure enough, he did. You know what? I Somebody asked me, which like wreck and shop hallway scene do I think was better? The Vader one or the Luke one? And, and, and I kind of thought at first, I think I like the Luke one better. I think I like the Luke one better. But then I went back and watched that scene from Rogue One again. And you know what it is? Here's the different element. It was the horror element of the Rogue One scene with uh, with Vader. It, 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 that's the one we forget about because the 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 dark troopers they were just robots. They're robots. They had no fear. 
They had no sense of their own mortality. None of that was part of it. We just saw a cool, and it was awesome. And I ate up every second and I was losing my freaking mind as Luca's wrecking shop and crushing the one with his hand. That was so cool. But when you go back and watch that Rogue One scene with Vader, the element that it had that the Luke one certainly couldn't have, that extra dimension was the horror. There are these men in that hallway, trapped in that hallway with Vader. And sure, just like Luke with the Death Troopers, he's got opposition in front of him, firing blasters at him. He's trying to block them and he's taking them out as he's going. Yes, but a part of it was you felt this fear. You felt that horror while you're also freaking out, right? And you like you see like that one shot of the one officer against the glass in the door. Help us! Like that that's just an element that the Luke scene didn't quite have. And again, that's not to take away from the immense magnificence of that Luke scene. And even I was like, oh, I think I like this Luke scene even better. But then I went back and watched that Vader one again, man. And it's just that the fact that it was it was actual human beings who are filled with fear and fighting for their lives and the horror of that moment. Because when, listen, when Luke turns on his green lightsaber, right? We're all like, yay! When Vader turns on that red lightsaber and you hear the, in the midst, and it's too misty to see anything, but then the red lightsaber comes on, not only are you like, oh my God, it's Vader, but you're also like, oh my God, they're dead. Those guys are dead effing doomed and it just it takes that scene like to another level so again i'm not sitting here saying that the vader scene is definitively better than the luke scene i'm I'm not necessarily saying that but i i think i personally have to change my mind and say i think i gotta lean towards the vader scene a little bit uh but again that's just me All right, guys, time for one more before we got to wrap it up here. Uh, This one comes to us from uh, Supreme Joseph, who writes, Hey, John, and not Rob, who's obviously not here. Uh, At some point, Disney Plus will have 11 Star Wars shows streaming per year. Is this too much, or can they all be successful? Been watching since uh, the four-year consideration days. For those of you who don't know, four-year consideration was a little show that was put together by me, uh, my buddy Soul, uh, Jennings Roth Cornett, who's over uh, at uh, uh, Screen Junkies News now, and uh, Dennis Zen. And we just did this, I, we did a weekly, we did a weekly video show that was that would later morph into what Movie Talk was. And I, I had kind of created this thing and they did that with me and it was called, we called it For Your Consideration. And it was a lot of fun. And eventually I took that same format, which was the same format I had on my movie blog days with my movie blog show. And we brought it into movie talking. So that's going back even pre AMC days. So thanks for that. Uh, there's something we all got to keep in mind here. I think an, an, they've already announced a couple of them, but I think a number of these shows don't think this, the streaming stuff is not traditional TV, right? It's not traditional TV. It's not, um, you know, you do a show and then you're going to do a season two if it's successful. And then you're going to do a season three, season four. I think there's a lot of these, like the Boba Fett series, for example, is a limited series. 
that means one season. They've got a story to tell, and they're going to do it in one season. It is a limited series. And I think a number of these shows are probably going to be limited series. I, I, I just I don't think every one of these shows is going to be meant to have season two and season three and season four and season five. So I don't know if we'll ever be at a point where they're going to have 11 shows running every year. I, I don't think they'll come to that. I, that's a little too much. Who are we kidding? That's a lot too much. <laughs> that's a lot too much. Um, I think in most, they should probably maybe have like six series a year. At most. I'm not even sure six is a good idea. But you know, six shows that can each run two month, two months each and run that through the year. I don't think you should be running multiple Star Wars shows at a time. But I don't know. I, who knows what their plan is and what they'll be able to kind of pull it out and make it work, Supreme Joseph. Thanks for writing that in. All right. I said that was the last one. This will be the last one. Uh, a fan of Peanuts writes, John, my order for the episodes of season two of Mandalorian was harder this season because I liked every episode. My order for now is 81536247. What's yours? I, I don't do rankings. Just, just you know, I don't do top 10 lists. I don't do rankings. I'm not going to get into that. Uh, or if you can't accurately call them, how, how about your top three in any order? Well, listen, I'll say this. Unlike last season, where there was one maybe two episodes that I just didn't like. Really, really season one, there was only one episode I didn't like. And that was the episode on Tatooine. I thought that was a mess of an episode. I just didn't like that episode at all. That said, there wasn't a single episode this season I didn't like. Certainly, there are episodes that were better than others. But like, I know, like for instance, a lot of people, they didn't like, I believe it was episode two. I think it was the frog lady episode i think i think episode two is the frog lady episode at any rate anyway i really like that episode i thought that episode was very true to the format of the whole season and i got a lot out of it and i enjoyed it a hell of a lot so yeah it's it's very difficult for me because there's not a lot of clear winners it's but one and eight are both outstanding but the the tragedy the one with boba fett doing his whole john wick routine that one is amazing the jedi episode with ahsoka tano that was exceptional i like them all so i i don't know i guess i'd probably say if i just had to randomly say my two favorites I, in no particular order one and eight the bookends one and eight were probably my favorites i love that first episode man the one with the Marshall, love that episode, but that's just kind of me. All right, guys, that will do it for this installment of the companion videos. Thank you guys so much for being here and catching up with me. There are still more to come, but don't worry. We will get to all of those questions as we get into the John Campus show on Monday, and we will get all cut up here pretty quick. I uh, want to remind you guys, of course, if you're watching this on Saturday evening, December the 26th, that tomorrow, Sunday the 27th, we will be doing a live open spoiler discussion of Wonder Woman 84. If you've had a chance to see it or if you will see it before then, please make sure to come on by and join us for that. All right, guys, 
That'll do it for me for this installment of the companion video. Thanks so much for being here. Special thank you to all you guys who sent in all those questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported the channel as you did it. And all of us here involved with the John Campia YouTube channel, thank you guys very, very much for that. Guys, we're in spikes in the pandemic still. So please remember to do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me for now, guys. Thanks a lot for being here. My name's John Campia. And until next time, my friends. Bye-bye.